And we're back for another edition of City View with Mayor Tom Koch. I'm Mark Carey, host of this new podcast of Mayor Koch's, informing you, uh, the community and beyond, what's happening in the city of Quincy, Massachusetts, the city of Presidents, and welcome, Mayor Koch. Hello, Mark. How has your week been? The week went by awfully fast. People are people are responding positively to the podcast, which, by the way, you can get at uh, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are available. A few of them we're still waiting to to get on. Like the Google Playlist is a new one that we have not yet conquered, but we will be there for those for those folks that reached out to us on social media, looking for where when we would be on Google. We will be very soon. So with that. That was, a, uh, that was a very politician-like answer. That was the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned from the best. Mm-hmm. So, Mayor, welcome once again. I noticed, uh, let's get right into it. I noticed sure. that in the paper today, I see some positive news again for, for Quincy College, uh, designated a military-friendly school again, which is a designation that any school would be proud to have, and which just brought up an issue. You know, you were the interim president for six months, and just looking to know more about what's happening with the college, where it's come, where it's going. Sure, sure. Well, as some may recall, um, several months ago, uh, the state put the college on notice. They were suspending the nursing program at the college because the uh, pass uh, rate was too low, the fail rate was too high, uh, and uh, the state was not happy with the standards of the program. So Quincy College Nursing Program was one of the premier programs in the state for a lot of years. Um, great program, uh, and it was a waiting list uh, to get into the program. So it's uh, it was very unfortunate what had occurred. So um, you know the board made a change. They um, um, they um, President Zafaris uh, retired, and they asked me if I would uh, pinch it for a period of time to get the place stabilized because it was in a bit of a spiral. Um, at the time. So we did that. And one of the important things I thought at the time uh, was to immediately get a hold of the stakeholders um, at the state level. Uh, some may recall Mount, Mount Ida College went out of business uh, and not in a good way, not in a good way for the staff or the students. Um, so I wanted to make sure the governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, department of higher ed, um, and all of them understood, look, this is one program we have a problem with. And uh, we're going to address the program. We're going to rebuild the program and get it back on track. Uh, and that's what we've been doing. Now, the six months I was there, we I uh, brought with me uh, my chief of staff, um, Lisa McBurney, and she became operations person for me over there for that period of time. We made a lot of hard choices. I mean, we engaged with the staff, the faculty, uh, met with the faculty on a couple of occasions, um, got their input, let them know what the story was, that we had a real challenge with our revenue, and uh, we just couldn't keep going the way we were going. And then that, at that point, we made a decision, look, we're not going to lay the nursing staff off. We're going to bring in some new leadership, and we're going to get this program back as soon as possible. Um, some thought that the schedule that we laid forth was too aggressive, uh, but um, sure enough, it's coming to pass uh, as this was laid out. And I really want to thank, um, you know, uh, Michael Bellotti succeeded me. He's the president now in the college. He's certainly been working at it with um, Jerry Kucher, who's our new provost, Jerry Kucha was dean of the sciences at DePaul University for five years. Um, he certainly has a great uh, background and brings with him great academic credentials. Uh, and then we hired uh, Dr. Roxer, Roxanne Michal, who uh, worked at the college years ago. We brought her back. She's the director of the nursing program. The program she was at, she had a very high success rate. Pass rate was 94%. So she and the uh, faculty there have been literally rebuilding the program from the ground up. I and mean, we start from scratch. Uh, they actually literally write the new curriculum. 
for the school. And uh, we've been oh. getting the nod each step from the Board of Registration of Nursing, uh, otherwise known as BORN, and will be before them in March uh, for the final approval to move ahead to open the program up again for September. So it's an exciting time uh, for the college. It was a it was a serious bump in the road, uh, but we're getting through it. And uh, September of this year, September of this year. No kidding, that's correct. Wow. Yep, September of nineteen. Uh, I forget the number of cohorts they're allowing. Uh, not the not the amount we had when it stopped. They they you kind of got to walk before you can run. So uh, I forget the limit on the students, but. Uh, I got to congratulate uh, Dr. Oxen, uh, Michel, and its staff, uh, and uh, the people that are working so hard on this. And we did take a, you know, we took a hit revenue-wise. So it had an effect on the college. It was a question about the college's viability. Should I continue to go there? Should I go somewhere else? Then, of course, there were all those other subject matters that relate to nursing that are not necessarily directly nursing that, uh, you know, you lose, you lose on as well. So it's been a challenge, uh, but we made some number changes over there structurally. Uh, some people left. Uh, we moved some people out. We moved some people in, and I think the college is in a good place. Uh, I think it has a good future, uh, which is great for the city. I mean, this college was started 60 years ago by the city fathers, really, as grade 13 and 14, and it's grown into um, a pretty neat institution. It's got a great niche, um, and I think it has a bright future. And city-owned, this is unheard. This is not typical of most of these colleges, universities, to be a city-owned. That's correct, and, and over the years, uh, there were attempts to break it completely from the city, and, um, you know, how do you split the baby, literally, because it was, there were issues of pension, there was an issue of what's the value of the college, right? So, under the law, we couldn't just turn it over to the Board of Governors, the city was going to get out of the college business, it would have had to put it up for bid or an RFP, uh, who knows who would have come in and purchased the college, perhaps, maybe the University of Phoenix might have bought it, and... Uh, and did away with the buildings and just gone to an online. Who knows what would have happened. So a lot of people talked about it. In fact, I, I was supportive saying, you know, if, if this works, let's, let's move. But we just couldn't make it work. Uh, having said that, I'm certainly proud to be connected to the college. I think it's, there's nothing wrong with it. I, you know, if state government can be involved in colleges and universities, why can't a city have a college? Uh, we're one of the few in the nation. There might be one or two others, but there aren't many uh, municipal colleges out there. And uh, I think it's a positive both for the college and for the city. I don't see any negative to it. Well, and the big news, too, I remember the timeline being very unsure if if ever the nursing program could come, could come back. And now that it's coming back in September 19, it's a scheduled date for that to start up again. It's, that's pretty amazing. Yes, it is amazing. And, uh, again, I give credit to uh, the staff over there. The leadership and staff did an incredible job. They knew that, you know, the program was on the line. And, um, you know, the, the, unfortunately... There were some warning signs from the state a couple of years back that um, the college, for whatever reason, didn't act on or ignored, um, never thinking they'd pull the program. But they pulled the program. Um, so, you know, we, we, didn't, we didn't go in and appeal and be combative because that didn't make sense to me. We, we chose a strategy. Okay, clearly there are issues. Clearly there's a problem here. Uh, we got to fix that. we got to get a house in order before we can go back um, and, and meet with them to go over things. So... You know, Department of Higher Ed, very cooperative. Uh, Born, very cooperative. Uh, met the governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general on a few occasions on this. They all assisted with uh, us getting this back on track, so I'm grateful for their support. Uh, and they were all very pleased with the way we handled, um, you know, the tuition reimbursement stuff. Um, you know, we it's not easy to, to, to give up that kind of revenue, but we, we reimbursed several million dollars to the students because we felt it was just the right thing to do. Um, 
that's where Mount Ida got in trouble. A lot of kids lost a lot of money um, and accreditation. Obviously, they with credits and where were they going to go? And you know, um, that was a little different circumstance. But perception wise, in the public, I was concerned that that may have an impact on the perception of Quincy. Um, so uh, we try to keep the word out there that Quincy is viable. It's open for business. It's doing well, except for that one area, which was an important area, but the nursing program was shut down. We're now uh, almost there. The final step is in March, completely rebuilding the program and open it up once again. And, and by the way, there are uh, these, these schools and classes are needed. Uh, there's a shortage in the nursing field, and uh, these seats, I'm sure, will be filled up rather quickly. Yeah, I'm sure they would. Thank you for that update on uh, that issue. And that's what we're here to do, to update you uh, on issues that are happening in Quincy. We've discussed everything from the new Brigham and Women Medical Facility with a new hotel coming into the city. We've also talked about the events that we have for the community. But, you know, this is a little bit of a more obscure issue, but something that definitely is on the, you know, is on the docket right now. We wouldn't usually be talking about cemeteries, but Pine Hill Cemetery is a very important part of this city. Hey, people are dying to get in there, Mark. <laughs> That's right. You know? And it's been one of the only ones that we had that people could actually still buy a plot in, right? right so right. talk a little bit about the update around that and what that's yeah, all sure. about. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, for history's sake, you know, we've got a number of cemeteries around the city. Uh, most people drive by Mount Wallace quite frequently. Beautiful veteran section, uh, about 53 acres, beautiful spot. But it's nearly full. I mean, there's families that own lots there that there's still burial space, but we haven't put anything up for sale in a long time. Uh, there's a Sailor's Home Cemetery in Snug Harbor. There's a Sailor's Home Cemetery over in the Beach of Knoll area. There's the little place called Hull Cemetery by St. Mary's that is also city-owned. Of course, the oldest one is the one next to Town Hall here, the old Town Hall, City Hall, uh, the original public burial ground uh, right here that uh, is beautiful and has a lot of history in it. Uh, Pine Hill was purchased in the 1960s. Um, Jim McIntyre was involved in that, along with our other legislators. It actually was purchased from the state. That was part of the Blue Hill Reservation on this end of it. Um, by the way, one-third of the Blue Hills is in Quincy. I don't know people realize that. The stepping points are out of Canton and Milton, but the reality is a third of the Blue Hills are in the confines of, of our boundaries. Um, so that was that was cemented a number of years ago. But what had happened was over the years, you, when you build a cemetery, whether it's private or public, you kind of build it out a section at a time because you, you bring revenue in and then you use that revenue to then build out the next section. Well, over time, the environmental laws got tougher. Conservation laws were put in place, and all kind, there were all kinds of issues up there, whether it's wetland-related or natural habitat-related. And over time, uh, it was designated as an area for rattlesnakes and copperheads. Um, so the law immediately protects those, um, and that became an issue for the for the uh, expansion of the cemetery. Um, so you can go down and get an abortion for the baby, but you can't touch the, the snakes up in Pine Hill, uh, which is a little insane to me. But having said that, we've been working with the agencies that have oversight on this, and uh, we come to a deal um, which will allow us to build out about seven more acres up there, which will be several thousand graves, uh, because we're we're down to literally three graves at Pine Hill wow. um, for sale, so um, that'll help us. Uh, and then the remaining twenty four acres will then be protected in the covenants um, uh, that will be protected uh, as just open space uh, land that will not be able to be developed on down the road. So this this agreement's been struck. Uh, I mean, you, you know, it's agreement where they have a gun to your head, so it's not like you can. There's a lot of say there. 
um, we don't have much uh, much on our side when it comes to the environmental laws. So, and look at I'm an environmentalist. I mean, I, I of certainly believe in that, but I, I think the stuff's a little extreme. Because, you know, if you look at that cemetery, it's already segmented from the Blue Hills, from Chickatawbit, and another cross street up above. So, you know, assuming the snakes are crossing the street and then coming into the cemetery, I don't know. But at any rate, um, we've got to move forward. And uh, the Cemetery Board of Managers has been terrific on this over the years. Uh, the late Tom Galvin, this was a big deal for him, as was Dick Sweeney, the former chair. They were both very involved in this. Uh, and it ju- has just taken so darn long. But we're there. So on Monday night, the council will be asking them uh, to endorse the uh, basically the agreement that we have with the state and the state agencies. Uh, and then the the uh, land will be designated, that 24 acres will be des- designated to the Quincy Parks Conservancy uh, in perpetuity because um, the state would rather another organization hold it than a municipality, which is a little nutty, my, uh, again. But these are the rules you play by, right. rules of the game. Uh, but the point is, you know, um, we're running out of our barrel space, and this will allow us to take care of um, probably the next 20 years, at least, of need going forward. So it, it's a good thing. So certainly uh, hope that my colleagues in the council see the wisdom in it. It's been talked about uh, over the years. Oh, gosh, since I've been mayor, we've been talking about this and been back and forth with the state. So it's a good 12 years. So there's been several different councils coming and going that may or not be I may or may not be aware of, you know, what's been going on up there. So this is, will be an update. But more importantly, it's going to provide some uh, much-needed burial space for the residents of our city. That's great news. But that, that to me, always sounds like you know something that people don't necessarily think about. That's not one of the it's things true. that would be part of the job that you have to do. It's thinking about the hundred-and-something-year-old pipes and thinking about cemetery space that we just don't have any more of. When you say three graves left there right. or three plots there, that's 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 uh, pretty amazing. Well, it's true. It's, it's, and, and cemeteries um, are, are an important um, uh asset you know it's obviously burial space it's burial grounds for families and becomes hallowed ground to those families but cemeteries also tell the story of a community you walk to mount wallaston and you read some of those stones and the beauty of some of the stones are incredible to start with and you look at the time frames you look at the ages you see veterans you see uh, different shapes of, of of graves that may relate to what they did for living i mean it it really tells a story and in addition it's it's another park you know, people stroll through a cemetery to get a little uh, break from the city atmosphere, whether they're on a bike or just walking or jogging. It's uh, obviously quiet, and uh, and they're beautiful. You know, you get a lot of beautiful open space with some tremendous trees. So, you know, Mount Wallace, and we've spent some money on the last couple of years doing the roads, the water line, line um, lines over. We're going to be planting a lot of new trees in there this fall. I mean, this spring and fall, depending on the species. Um, so, you know, we're going to maintain them, and uh, we're doing that with. Uh, perpetual care monies. You know, again, people are out there. There's, there's probably eight or ten of my great critics out there. That, and if I say black, they'll say white. So before they jump on it and say we're spending taxpayer money, we're not. This is perpetual care money, and it's sale of lot money. So it's money spent for, for this purpose by people that have invested in the graves. When you buy a lot, you pay so much for the lot, it goes into an account. You pay X amount to perpetual care, it goes into a separate account, a trust fund, and then the third piece is the general opening of a grave, which goes into the general fund, which pays for the development. Uh, so it, it really pays for itself. Um, it's great service to the people of the city and provides beautiful, beautiful parkland as well. Uh, and, and just on one footnote. By the way, there's probably more than eight or ten critics, but, you know, you know. <laughs> Probably eight or ten, <laughs> but when uh, I, I, there's a great story about when you say it's part of our story. Well, nobody knows this, but uh, St. Mary's 
um, has another very historic cemetery behind there. One of my favorite findings over there was a guy named Jay Kilrain. Jay Kilrain was the boxer. The boxer. He was yeah. a heavyweight champion of the world back in the you know eighteen ninety something. But he fought the longest and biggest boxing match ever with John L. Sullivan. He fought seventy five rounds. Oh my gosh! Bare <laughs> knuckles, right? Bare knuckles. And who won? John L. Sullivan won, uh-huh. but uh, they both should get a prize. Jake Kilrain is, is known as the greatest fight ever, um, you know, and then he ended up short, sort of settling in Quincy and becoming the night watchman at the shipyard. So that's uh, that was interesting. So he didn't grow up in Quincy, but he moved to Quincy. Is that he what did, yeah. yeah. He yeah. En- but he ended up. Uh, this was really his home for the yeah. better part of his life, and you know, Ring Magazine bought that gravestone for him, which wow. is a, a really kind of cool thing. It has the boxing gloves? I went over there and took some pictures of it. It was interesting. Well, St. Mary's is the oldest Catholic church parish south of Boston. It's not the original building, the church building that's here now of Quincy Granite, but uh, so there's some old graves over there as well. It's a beautiful parish. Yeah, it really is. So just wanted to touch base on this a little bit, talk about what's happening with the MBTA and Wallaston and, and North Quincy. and the- A lot happening. I mean, there's a ton happening. I know there's, a, there's some folks that are unhappy with some of the communication, and, and maybe they're correct on uh, the communication issues that perhaps, uh, and I love this because uh, I've been accused of it too, and they do... The T's trying to do too much at once. You know, they did nothing for 40 years. Now <laughs> they're being criticized because they're doing too much at once. Exactly. So, you know, the reality is, and I say this at the end of the day, uh, you know, there's always disruptions. Like Quincy Center with the parking, we're building a garage. There's disruption in the meantime. At the end of the day, we're going to have a brand new Wallison station that's going to open up this summer. Parking lot completely resurfaced and, and brand spanking new. ADA accessible. Uh, elevators, escalators, um, Quincy Adams, they're working on now, uh, fixing and upgrading that garage in that area. The North Quincy station is, is, um, going to see some upgrades along with uh, brand new development around it with a new garage. That's going to serve the T, uh, much needed housing for the greater Boston area. And I know that can be a little sensitive with some people too, but you know, that was a seven and a half acre asphalt surface lot. Uh, not performing at all in the marketplace. Uh, ugly as heck driving by. So here we are. This is true transportation-oriented development, building a number of apartments, a number of retail operations that will be there. They'll be paying state taxes. They'll be paying the T a lease, which allows the T then to use that money to upgrade their system. And they'll be paying the city of Quincy property taxes, which is uh, going to be helpful to, to the coffers. And we're dealing with providing new housing units in the market. And I like to remind people that the greatest way to stabilize rents is to have more housing in the marketplace. Right now, the greater Boston area is a shortage of housing, and it's projected that we're going to need tens of thousands of units over the next several years in the greater Boston area if we're going to keep being that viable uh, area of our country with the economic engine of the medical and education places in Boston, Cambridge, and, and the region. Uh, and we So we're going to meet the demand. And Though, I don't know, people always connect the dots. People are asking for more affordable housing. Well, by putting more markets on in the marketplace, it helps to make things more affordable. Um, so, um, you know, I know there's a little controversy over it, but I think we'll get through it. And, you know, we're looking at um, the new signals along the, along the red line. Uh, the new cars will be arriving uh, fairly soon. So in another couple of years, the red line is going to be like brand new, almost a billion dollars spent on the red line coming through Quincy here, which was long overdue. So I've said it before. I'll say it again. I want to thank our governor and our legislative delegation for supporting this. Uh, I know it matters to people that use the T every day. 
whether they're by bus uh, or the train. Uh, it's great to see these upgrades. And we're going to be seeing some upgrades on the buses as well in the near future, getting rid of those old smelly diesel buses uh, with the new <laughs> yeah. technology. It's going to be exciting. It also frees the roads, too. The more, I mean, this is important. This is really important. The, you, people will complain about traffic. Well, we're never going to change the 400-year-old cow paths that we had. I mean, basically, no, they exactly. can't be. Exactly. So we need the T. The T is our friend. Well, it is. And, and, you know, a lot of people depend on it each and every day. Uh, it's also important to uh, the continued investment in our city by, by developers and investors that we're seeing in Quincy Center. Uh, you know, the Quincy Center station, I didn't mention that, but that's going to be undergoing a, an overhaul as well as a new development over the, over the air rights there, which is exciting. Uh, but no, it's a very important. In fact, you know, it's interesting. The winter of 2015, the winter from hell, we had a uh, ridiculous amount of snow in, in, in like three or four weeks in February. Like eight feet, nine uh, Well, the feet. T was shut down, and uh, the roads we, we kept open. If you go back when we were, we were kids, Mark, uh, during the blizzard of 78, um, the T was open. The roads were shut down. The T was operating, and people depended on it. Well, yeah, that was a big eye-opener for the governor and the administration, and, and uh, he grabbed the bow by the horns because we, we, you know, that's when we need the public transit transportation the most right um so that was certainly uh i think what the bell that was heard around the region as far as the red line on the t so yeah. i think that was helpful in convincing uh, the administration that uh they need to spend some money in, in infrastructure and maintenance it's you just can't you can't keep kicking it down the can down the road that's what's been going on for a long time with the t particularly with the red line and each one of these are, are massive projects, so we'll be talking more about these oh, in, the, sure. in, the, in the coming uh, months. And we'll be bringing folks on here to talk with you, but this is our third podcast. Uh, again, Mayor, uh, we want to thank you for uh, informing us uh, this week. Again, we'll do it again next week and next time. And all these podcasts are archived, so if you miss one, you can always go on to the podcast channel, which is the which is called Podcast Quincy. Uh, the name of this show is City View. We just did our, our other podcast called uh, The History and Heritage Road Show. We did our first pilot program. That should be coming out in the next couple of weeks. And we're looking forward to um, uh, to, your, to the next time with you, Mayor. No, sounds good. I yeah, appreciate thank, it. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, everybody. And again, you can find this podcast where all your podcast platforms are, from uh, iTunes to Spotify, and we will get along Google. Thank you. Have a great day. <laughs>